The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. Hey, how you doing? I'm Ben McKechn. And I'm his Tom Cruise lookalike, Mark Hadley. Welcome to The Big Picture, episode 122 for the week beginning August 28. And coming up on today's show... All Saints, the movie, not the show. This time next year, the show, not the movie. And Tom Cruise is a drug dealer, the movie. I repeat, that's a movie. And I finally am able to reveal the top five ways that Tom Cruise changed my life. G'day, Mark. Bit of a Tom Cruise edition this it week is, on the it show. It is the Tom Cruise edition. I'm personally very, very excited. Hang around till right till the very end of the show, and I'll tell you how Tom has made me a different man. Hey, hey, Sam. How are you going? How do you feel about Tom Cruise? Ah, oh, he gets me jumping on couches everywhere. Yeah, of course he would. Of course he would. <laughs> Wild for Tom Cruise. Yeah, and again, for the record, Tom Cruise is not a drug dealer. He's playing a drug dealer in a film called American Made that Mark also uh, is going to talk about a little uh, bit later on. They're not dealing drugs, merely transporting. Them. Right, and it's made in America. Yeah, it's made in America. Yeah. Yeah, you got that? Yeah. Okay. Hey, Ben, what's at the movies this week? Well, apart from American Made that Mark will be talking about soon, um, on DVD and Blu-ray this week, blokes, pick the odd one out in this. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Their Finest, and Baywatch. Now, all of those are out. (laughs) Their Finest is British. Yeah, Their Finest is British. (laughs) Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, you also liked it, didn't you, Mark? But Baywatch, on the other hand... Should uh, never have been made. Should never have been made. But all of those are out on DVD and Blu-ray. You can go and get them if you wish. Uh, At cinemas this week for the young and romantic and sheltered, Everything, Everything, which sounds a little bit like a female version of the boy in the bubble scenario, the bubble boy. It's a girl who can't leave the house because she's allergic to the modern world. Oh, oh, wait, does she fall in love? But can love cure all? (laughs) Friends, can love cure all? Find out by going to see Everything, Everything at cinemas this week. Okay. Uh, What's the telly? Let me tell you what's going on TV this week. Let's begin with the ABC on Sunday, September the 3rd, which is this coming Sunday. Our favourite bespoke British designer, Kevin (laughs) MacLeod, is back. He fronts up... With a new variation of Grand Designs, Grand Designs House of the Year. Oh yeah, just like, one. I'm not terribly sure how this actually differs from House of, you know, from Grand Designs <laughs> at all. Insofar as just get used to the usual sort of uh, crazy uh, situations arising from people trying to build houses that are far bigger than their budgets. So you know, could be fun. Some more uh, Grand Designs then, really. Like, to be honest, I'm a bit of a Grand Designs junkie, so I'll probably line up for. It. I'll let you know if there's anything. different. That Kevin McLeod is a terrific presenter. Let's be honest, he and is. the houses are lovely to look at, and he's a bit grumpy too. He can be a bit, Just a bit cantankerous. Yes. Well, this is not grumpy. Um, on Netflix this week, season one of The Good Place. What's that? Yes. Okay, now listen to this. This is a great idea for a show. The series focuses on Eleanor Scholstrop, who's played by Kristen Bell, a recently deceased young woman who wakes up in the afterlife. Okay. What? There okay. she finds the angel Michael, played by Ted Danson. Ted Danson? <laughs> no. Um, and he sends her to the good place because she's lived a righteous life. However, she realizes that a mistake has been made. Okay. And now she's got to hide out in heaven uh, and try and hide from everybody her morally imperfect life. Mm. Wow. <laughs> That's high concept. Can you imagine just. Pitching that. And they say there's nothing new under the sun. Well, there you <laughs> go. They, wow. I just, I'm, we, might I'm, take, we might take a closer look at that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to hear more about that show. Here we right. go. We need a true or false question, Ben. Yeah, well, we've mentioned uh, that this is turning into a bit of a Tom Cruise edition. We'll be talking later in the show about this new film that is in American Made. 
The director of that film is Doug Liman, who's probably best known for The Born Identity. He made the first Born film. Awesome. When he was making that film, Doug Liman earned a reputation among his studio bosses of being, and I quote, costly, unorganized, and at worst, immature. Now, <laughs> now, what did he do to earn such a bad reputation? Did what? Doug Liman spend $20 million over budget? Did he or did he? Uh, he wasn't satisfied with the ending of the film, and so he employed six writers to work on a new ending, and that took an additional two weeks to put together. Or did he make his production crew stay late one day to fight a f- to light a forest near Prague so he could play paintball? Or did he employ ten extra stunt coordinate- coordinators than he was meant to? All those various options, chats, what earned him a bad reputation? Which one of those is true? Did he go 20 million over budget? Did he get a new ending written? Did he light a forest in Prague because he wanted to play paintball? Or did he get 10 additional stunt coordinators on the Bourne identity? Which of those is true or false? I know I want it to be the paintball. Mm. Yeah, that'd be great. What's the point of being a multi-million director if you can't actually have a crew light your forest? Find out very soon. Okay. All right. Well, often on The Big Picture, we talk about all kinds of extraordinary stuff that movies and TV shows have dreamed up. Imaginative, eventive, uh, and spectacular stuff. But, you know, it's not actually real. Most no, of it's like, <laughs> go back to the imaginary bit. It's yes, imaginary. That's it. Uh, well, two Aussie TV shows are bringing us the extraordinary, for real, Channel 9's This Time Next Year and 7's Little Big Shots focus on how everyday people can be much more than ordinary. And Ben... You've taken a look at both those shows uh, for our what your kids are watching slot this week. Yeah, that's right. So uh, this time next year is a new show on Channel 9. And basically, it's this really quite outlandish idea of um, various people show up and they say, in a year's time, I would like to do such and such. I pledge to do such and such. And then you jump to a year and they come back onto the show. So obviously, the show's been in production for about a year at the time. So different people are doing that. What, they pledge something one year and then they show up 12 months later to say whether they did it or not. Australia, get ready for the television experience of the year. An incredible, ambitious new show, the likes of which you've never seen before. This time next year, Carl. I would like Carl to look in the mirror. I'm going to have read 1,000 books. I am going to save my brother's life. This time next year, I'll be able to hear my children say I love you for the first time. Right before your very eyes. You'll see amazing before and after transformations of everyday Australians. One year's transformation. Okay, so that's This Time Next Year that's on Channel 9 at the moment. Um, A show that started just last night on Channel 7 is Little Big Shots, hosted by Shane Jacobson. And it's basically a showcase of amazingly talented kids. Next Sunday at 7, it's not just what they do, it's what they say. How does your dad talk? Eh. That'll bring the house down. Do I have to keep doing this? this is... no, 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 you can stop now. Comedy meets variety as the worldwide phenomenon hits Australia. What's going to happen when you get married? I don't really have a lover yet. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> That's what I need. <laughs> Little big shots. Okay. What's the go with these shows? I mean, they sound different to other reality TV shows because they seem to be supportive and interesting for a start. Yeah, um, they do sound a bit different, but both of them are ripped off um, UK format. So these shows both have been tried out um, overseas before, but now Australia's got their own variations. But yeah, they are they are a bit different, and mainly because they're not competitions, but they are about real people. That's the idea. They're not trying to tear people down. Yeah, yeah. So this time next year, and as the clip uh, we just played before kind of demonstrates, you're getting everyone from uh, people who want to walk down the aisle because they're 
Um, a lady's been quadriplegic. She wants to walk down the aisle in 12 months' time. There's a, a farmer who uh, comes on and, and shares that he's been gay his whole life, hasn't told his family, and in 12 months' time, he wants to find a partner. A mum wants a makeover 12 months' time. What's going to happen? And a kid, as we played in the, in the clip, wants to read a 1,000 books. That's just in the first couple of episodes of uh, this time next year, which has been going for a few weeks. And then Little Big Shots. Guys, yeah, you're right, Mark. It's not trying to tear things down. It's not even necessarily trying to set these kids up against each other. It's basically just trying to find kids from Australia but also around the world who do all this kind of amazing stuff. So everything from like the first episode has a young boy who's like five and he shears sheep but with hand shears. So that whole thing about don't work with kids and animals just gets blown Mm. out of the water. That old like um, Hollywood saying, don't work with kids and animals, gets blown out of the water in the first opening minutes of Little Big Shots as Shane Jacobson tries to wrangle sheep and a young boy who can shear sheep. But there's also a kid who can do a Rubik's Cube with his feet. There's a little gymnast who does like six backflips. And um, only six, only six, yeah. Oh. But like, man, you should see her go, yeah. So it is, it is a little bit different to what you normally get with these reality-based or other sort of more competition-like shows. Kind of a little bit like, um, you know, that '70s show, uh, Kids Say the Darndest Things. It seemed in the promo there was a lot of that going on. Yeah, but, but is the novelty going to be enough to sustain it? I mean, because here's a kid who can do seven backflips. Yeah, <laughs> that's that, I'm 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 still trying to still trying to work that out. Uh, I think the same little big shots and this time next year are going to suffer very quickly from the fact that this sound this seems repetitive this time next year as amazing as it is of seeing some people walk on stage and say uh, explain something about their life and often they're, they're very uh, serious stories like uh, one lady wanting to give her uh, liver or kidney to her brother and you know you're going to find out in 12 months time whether that transplant actually worked like there's real heart-wrenching stuff going on here but the format itself can get a bit old and you just you know you're waiting for the bit where they reveal what they're going to reveal they go through the door they come back like who, who knows what's going to happen? Little big shots, a little bit the same. So Shane Jacobson does a pretty bang up job of um, interviewing these kids before they get up and say what they what they're going to. They talk about what they're going to do, and he's a good interviewer of them. But again, I was getting a little bit bored, and I'm not sure even if the younger viewers watching this are, are going to stick around. Through, oh no, this is grandparent through, TV through the kids talking about what yeah. they're what, about what they're going to do, and also in the first couple of episodes, at least by the second one that's going to air this Sunday night, Little Big Shots. They're already ringing in a lot of kids from overseas, which might suggest that there's not as many talented kids in Australia mm. as you might have thought. Wow. Do you think people are going to be inspired by this? I, I think so, and I reckon that's definitely the aim, guys, of both these shows this time next year and Little Big Shots. And again, go back to how Little Big Shots isn't a competition, so it's not meant to be try, trying to like run kids down. Instead, it's meant to be celebrating them. But it left me a little bit with that sense of, mm, like, it's hard to put your finger on it, but am I not talented enough or am I not good enough You know, as I'm watching it? And people, particularly on this time next year, are all about wanting to change things about themselves or other people to try to make them better versions of themselves. So, for, you know, for us over here at The Big Picture, and we love talking about things from a Christian perspective, that's just an easy nod back to how there's all this hankering inside ourselves to look for a better version of ourselves. It's a great nod to Jesus, how we can't really do it ourselves. We're never going to be good enough. There's, there's this something in us that's trying to get out. What happens on this time next year, people try to do it in all kinds of different ways, but there's almost a sense, as it's trying to be inspiring, there's almost a sense that, well, if you don't reach the pledge that you've made in 12 months' time, is that a bit of a failure or a bit of a disappointment? Come on, you had 12 months. That's right. Save your brother's life. Yeah, and the show definitely tries to talk up 
um, if someone doesn't reach the pledge that they've tried to arrive at. But it, it may not leave you with the feeling of being inspired as it's trying to, I mm. think. Both shows could register on that front. Well, this time next year uh, airs every Monday at 9 on 9. Stars uh, Carl Stefanovic and people who enter a time loop and re-emerge. There yeah, you go. 12 months later. Also available on demand on 9 now. And Ben struggled to find what it was rated. Um, that's gee, a whole issue in itself. Little <laughs> Big Shots started on Channel 7 last night, Sunday, August 27. And airs each week at 7 p.m. or find episodes on Yahoo 7. Yeah. Okay, guys, before we talked about Little Big Shots and this time next year, I posed a true or false statement about the Born Identity director, Doug Lyman. He earned a bad reputation when he was making that movie. Was it because he went $20 million over budget? He wasn't satisfied with the ending, so he got another one written, and that took two weeks. Did he light a forest in Prague? He make his production crew stay one day late so he could play paintball, or did he employ 10 extra stunt coordinators? I'm going for the paintball because I reckon that's about the most childish thing you could do with a professional crew. Reveal all, Ben. Mark, you're right. He did actually go and play paintball and make his crew stay back to light a forest, mm. but he did pay them overtime. So I don't think that's terribly immature, as the studios were alleging about <laughs> director Doug Lyman. studios. Well, coming up on the big picture, do you like Tom Cruise? How yeah, about sure. a ripping good movie soundtrack? Yes. Well, stay tuned, because up next we're going to ask you to guess which songs go with which Tom Cruise film. Hey, welcome back to the show. <laughs> right, well, later in the show we'll be talking about American May, the latest film from one of Hollywood's most noble names, Tom Cruise. Now, you might not like him. My wife can't stand him after what he did to Anna Cole. But regardless of what you think of him personally and his dubious links with the Church of Scientology, there's a fair chance you've seen at least one Tom Cruise film. More than one, in fact. So many Tom Cruise films have become instantly recognisable by their soundtracks that we thought that it would make a suitable topic for this week's soundtrack segment. So we're going to play a bit of a game, guys. We're going to, And we're going to play with you too, audience. Uh, eight songs. I'm going to play eight songs, and I just want you to guess which Tom Cruise film they came from. Maestro? All right. First Top in. Gun. Oh, oh. Danger Zone. Oh. Come on, start with a hard one. Well done. Yeah. Kenny Logan's Actually, Danger Zone honest, from Top Gun. I did decide I would start with an easy one. Thank so you very much. Now everybody said that. How about we play track number two? Ah, oh, this is Springsteen. Yes. Am I right? As you, in what, Bruce yes, Springsteen. So good. It is, in fact, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. What movie is it from? All the girls in the audience now screaming at you. Not because you dress so nicely. It's Ghost. Oh, it wasn't in Tom Ghost. Cruise wasn't in Ghost. Is it Jerry uh, Maguire? This sounds like it should be it's Ghost. It's Jerry Maguire. Well oh, done. That's two from two. Two oh. for two. You, My goodness me. Uh, uh, thanks for the Springsteen help. And it's a good thing that we're not keeping score there, Sam. Okay, let's play track three. All right, number three here is number three. One of my favourite films. Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> now I realise a little bit of lead up in this. Oh, I got oh. an A. Rain Man. There he is, oh. Rain Man. Oh. Three for three. You were a child of the score. 80s. You've got an okay, advantage you know here, my friend. Okay, okay. Well, here we go. Track four should uh, set the cat amongst the pigeons. Synth there, yeah, great, great piece of 90s synth. <laughs> well, it's, it's just sending me to sleep, whatever it is. But um, well, is this from actually? So did the film. 
Is this from that um, that Irish movie he made with Ron Howard called Far and Away with Nicole no, it, Kidman? No, it's not, but no. I was going to include that. Um, mm. Are we both stumped? Yeah, I think we're stumped. Okay, um, let's see. Well, it's Mariah McKee, Show Me Heaven, Days of Thunder. Oh, oh yeah. I think we remember that from okay, that. that. Yep, okay, sure. there you go. Okay, here's one of my favourite Tom Cruise films. Ah, so close, Sam. I'm so close. I'm not. Okay, I'll give you a clue. The the track "Salisbury Hill" by Peter Gabriel. Ah, now I think I'm getting further away. Um, Forrest Gump. (laughs) Indeed, it's Forrest Gump. (laughs) Well, that's the Tom Cruise remake of Forrest Gump. Um, Is it Vanilla Sky? It is Vanilla Sky. You're Seen a, a few movies, my friends. I'm a smoldering ash. Movies. That's what I am. <laughs> normally, you're such a klutz with these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. For the record, I'm normally such a klutz with these things. That's true. That's true. But now, I'm smashing it. Okay. Well, let's go for number six. Beach Boys. Oh, yeah, Cocktail. Brian Brown, oh. Tom Cruise, Aruba, Jamaica. Oh, I wanted to, oh the Beach Boys song. Oh, this is great. <laughs> I wish you could just listen to all these songs wonder, in full. And I wonder how the audience is going. How you guys go? You've got six for six like Ben? Yes, I, I, shouldn't, or, I shouldn't keep speaking over the track so early. Or zero for zero like Sam? Uh, go, go, Sam, go. I'm too, I'm too young, right? You've got two left. No, no, no. Come on, you've got to get this. All right, this is track the next seven. one. A long, long time ago. I can still remember Piano Man. How that no, that, no, this is Don American Piano. Pie, isn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> Sam, it's yeah. Don McLean. Yeah, oh, it is very nice. Awesome. It must be born on the 4th of July. It is born on the 4th of July. I was going to say American Made. There you go. At least you had American at the top. Okay, All let's right. go. It's the last. Okay, now I want you to give yourself a two second handicap. I, I think I already know what it's going to be. <laughs> two can, I say handicap? can I just say it? Because otherwise, Sam is just going to feel completely devastated. Have a go, Sam. Audience, you ready for I'm, I'm sitting track. back. I'm sitting back. It's our final track. Here it comes. Mm-hmm. Jerry Maguire. Oh, God. Dude, we already said Jerry Maguire, but it is a two-word title. Rhymes with Isky, Isness. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's, it's whiskey business. <laughs> <laughs> risky yeah. business. Risky business. Yay. Well played, Sam. Well played. Oh, I got well something done. right in my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good job, man. Good and, job. And we will present you, Ben, later with the inaugural life-size Tom Cruise statue. Yeah, fantastic. We'll be handing out every year now. And a little bit later in the show, we will be talking about Tom Cruise's new film, American Made. I want to play this out. It's not often that American cinema presents us with a story where the primary action is going to church, and even less likely... Uh, is one that makes the pastor the hero of the piece. All Saints is a new film based on the inspiring new uh, true story of a salesman-turned-preacher whose first job is closing a church, but who decides that if God can raise the dead, he can resurrect this tiny congregation as well. I think God spoke to me. What did he say? He said, I've given you land, I've given you farmers, do the math. He said, do the math. He wants us to save this little church by making the land into a farm. That voice you hear, be sure it's God's voice, not your own. And people are not here to pick your beans, they're here to be Americans. What's more American than farming? Start a farm, work together, and save the church. Amen. How are you going to plow? It's funny you should mention that. You're blowing your boss's chance at a big sale here, preacher. You risked our careers on this. Ah! 
You swore an oath as a minister to God, not to me, to obey, even when you disagree. Swore an oath as a Christian. So as we said in the intro, All Saints is a true story. It's about a fellow called Michael Spurlock who's appointed this failing church just so he can close it down. He's literally brought in to manage the real estate deal that will basically sell off the church property. Uh, But he comes to believe God just spoke to me. Now, you don't actually see like God hear God sort of booming from the clouds or anything like that. More of a very personal moment. And he sets out to turn the property into a farm that will support the poor. Uh, When everything goes wrong, though, he's forced to ask a couple of really tough questions like, does God really speak this way? And if he's told me to do this, why is he making it so hard for me to do it? And he really has to work for the answers. It is well and truly a different style Christian film to the sort of usual conversion story that we get presented. Speaking about different films, though, Mark, I'm racking my brain uh, to think through another movie where the lead character is a pastor of a church and he's a good guy and it's a, and it's a success story. Like We're often lamenting how um, we get all these sequels and reboots and those kind of thing, unimaginative, non-new ideas. I can't think of another movie that even about literally, this or if, like this. Literally, if you're going to have the pastor as the lead character, as a lead character in a film, generally speaking, it's because he's some guy uh, who's more righteous than Jesus somehow and is just terrifying in the way that he has an effect on people around him. But instead, um, Spurlock is, is just a, a very interesting man who um, is trying to take this job somewhat easy. It's almost like this job is supposed to be a relaxation for him. Um, but in fact, he's um, going to have to do a, a much harder job than he suspected. And he's going to be forced into a corner by God to to work hard. Um, I feel like it's a, a great illustration sometimes of how, as Christians, we think that this part of our life uh, cru- is cruisy. You know, this, but then God actually makes it somewhat challenging. Um, he's played by John Corbett from Northern Exposure. You might yep, remember on yep. my b- Big Fat Group Wedding. He's yes, I know. John well. Yeah, anyway, and he's basically just living by the numbers. But another para- uh, another parishioner comes in, a fellow called Forrest, a character called Forrest, who, who basically tells him he doesn't even understand what church is. He's got re- no real idea of what church is if he thinks it's just about a building. Uh, and it's a, a, a great moment for him because he actually has to understand. Like, uh, if you know the, the Greek word for church is ecclesia, it's not a building, it's the people of God gathering together. And that's what comes out really strongly in this. What do you say to people when they hear about All Saints being about an American pastor, an American church, America, and they go, eh... Like, are there any lessons here for an Australian context, do you think? Yeah, one of the big ones for me uh, was actually recognising something else in my life. Um, look, one of the jobs I do, some of the communication stuff I do, I actually help support an organisation called Geneva Push. It's a church planning organisation. Uh, oh, they, so they start new they churches start in different new areas. They start churches in different areas. And honestly, every time they start a church, it looks different to the last one. Um, and that's what comes out strongly in this film, that you've got to understand that church is not the same where it is all over the place, except for the fact that it's gay gathered around Jesus, that it's it's part of his body. It may look very different in very different places. And I think the second thing that you can pick up that's not American at all, but travels well across the world, is church is mission. Okay, It's not about us having a, a little holy huddle, a club together, where we all get to sing the songs we like and listen to the things that encourage us. It is about facing outwards. It's And it's not just looking after the poor, but it shouldn't be less than that either. Okay, so it's it's not just a mission aid organization, but it is a great mission. It's Jesus' mission. And you get that again coming out. In light of what you just said there, it's interesting what's going on in this film, uh, the idea of a leading to turn your church into a farm. 
right? Yeah, that's the interesting thing too. Like now, I feel like this is not. I might be sounding a little amped about this film because normally I go into Christian films and I, 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 I don't have high expectations. Yeah, you're not a fan usually no, of Christian a big, movies. A big fan because I feel like they presume on the audience often. But what this, do they presume? Well, they basically presume that you have to listen because it's important. You know that. So, and I feel like every story must convince you that it's worthwhile. In this one, this is um, got a really core issue which I think Christians really should pay attention to. How do you know what God told you to do? And it hits it head on. This is not the film to take non-Christians to, but this is the film for Christians to go sit down and learn from, to go in and ask yourself, well, look, just because I think God told me to do this, is that me? Or is that God? There's this great line where this bishop actually asks Spurlock, look, Michael, that voice you hear, be sure that it's God's and not your own. Um, and it's a great uh, you know, idea to uh, question you ask yourself because Spurlock actually has to realize that some of the things that he thinks God told him to do are really just him and, and other things he's actually ignoring God saying that he really should pay attention to. Discerning God's will is really important. This film will help you. All right. All Saints is in limited release here in Australia, so uh, it's best to scan the web for a screening near you. It opened nationally. Uh, sorry, it will open nationally from August thirty-one. That's this coming Thursday, and is rated PG for mild themes. And we've got ten double passes to give away to All Saints. So all we want you to do uh, is to go to our Facebook page and tell us your favourite movie. If you just share with us your favourite movie, we'll not only mention your favourite movie, uh, unless, of course... And you don't have to say it's All Saints. No, you don't have to say it's All Saints, but we'll send you either tickets to the next Academy Awards ceremony or All Saints. Wow. Wow. What access. (laughs) What access. What level. Well, coming up on the big picture, uh, Tom Cruise's American Maid, also Terminator 2, is released in 3D for the first time, and our top five Tom Cruise films that changed Mark Hadley's life. Welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, step right up for a trip into the cinematic past, but we're going to do it today. Today! Today! Uh, Joel Archer is a film buff in Brisbane who loves screening vintage movies to older people, and he even brings the picture show to them with his mobile cinema. Joel joins us to project more about what it takes to bring old school flicks to the folks, and he joins us on the line right now. Hello, Joel. Hi, everyone. Hey, Joel. Now, what's the response that you get when you're going around to aged care facilities and you roll up with a mobile cinema? What kind of response are you getting? Uh, Firstly, what the heck is this guy doing here? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, once you get past that. Yeah, yeah. No, once I get past that. No, very fascinating. People uh, are always curious, and sometimes I find often the staff are more curious than the elderly until it starts screening and they remember the music of Looney Tunes or Warner Brothers or they remember all these iconic sounds and images and then it all just sort of floods back to them. They're really, really positive. Wow, so you're actually getting films that are basically from their era. Uh, Where do you get all this ancient film footage from? Uh, well, it's sort of a passion. So I search for film all throughout, um, all throughout the world, really. Predominantly, a lot of stuff is from America, especially the silent stuff, because I screen quite a lot of silent film. And um, are you, screen- are you screening on, on film? Sorry, sorry to cut you off, Joe. Are you screening on film, as in old school film, real to real film, not just not digital technology now? No, I, unfortunately, I'd love to be able to do real to real, but it would probably put me at a cost that the elderly just couldn't afford. Yeah, yeah, sure, so, sure. So you were saying you, you source a lot of stuff from the states. I do, but everything I take, everything I screen will be sourced from a thirty-five millimeter print anyway. Yeah. So the quality would be—I uh, wouldn't say on par, but for a digital format, it's it's not it's not shady. It's very clear, very crisp. Um, the film—it's close to the quality that they would remember. 
as when they went to the pitches with 35 when they were younger. Yeah, I think that'd be a real trip down memory lane. It'd be like seeing it all over again for the first time. That's great. It's probably the pre-entertainment that they love where I show footage of Brisbane in the 50s and 60s and do um, some newsreels and cartoons. Like, that oh, really energises them for the film itself. Wow, mate. That's, that's a real old-school cinema experience that you're bringing to um, elderly people uh, up, up in Brisbane. Um, now, Joel, we live in a society where usually, um, like Australia, we kind of treat elderly like we're almost you know, shutting them away, boxing them up. We don't really want to interact with them much as, as younger people in society. But why do you spend your time this way interacting, engaging with, sharing your time with older people in Brisbane? I, I would definitely say um, the stories um, and, and connection. I've been able to meet a woman that saw... The, um, a film that was been lost in Australia for 83 years and she remembered every part of it and there was no documentation on the film. I was able to find four lost silent films in original 35 form through an elderly man in his garage. So all these engagements and connections and stories often led to something quite extraordinary. And, um, and, 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 and the people that you're sharing the, the movies with, are they, uh, they appreciate you coming to spend time with them? I think so, yeah, because I think, like you said, it's Australia isn't as kind to its elderly as some other nations. And I think, yeah, they're definitely sort of, yeah, they're sort of forgotten. Um, they're sort of, it's sort of like just pushed in and out. And I think this sort of takes them back to their youth. They physically don't have to do much, but they can revisit those memories, those experiences. Yeah, I definitely think, I find it very rewarding. Sometimes you get quite emotional responses if the film's sad or you can hear them laughing their heads off. So it's a very... Emotion, mate. That is show. that is amazing. How can people receive a visit from your mobile cinema? Um, basically, yeah. The main thing is to get in contact with me, probably uh, via uh, contact or email. Um, you can definitely Google Golden Oldies, and that links a lot to the stories because the business itself is called the Golden Oldies because they really are Golden Oldies. Well, we might even put a link on the Facebook page for people to actually track down if they'd like. Yeah, we will. Otherwise, thank you very much, Joel Archer from Golden Oldies in Brisbane, bringing back um, old-time cinema to elderly folk around Brisbane. Thanks very much, Joel. No worries. Thanks for your time. Time to talk Tom Cruise, fellas, because American Made is the story of a former TWA pilot who was used by several arms of the US government to run drug guns and drugs in and out of South America. It's a wild tale involving the CIA, the DEA, the famous Medean drug cartel, corrupt dictators and gun-toting revolutionaries. But at the heart of this story... Uh, it's Barry Seal, a talented pilot and family man who learns the truth of the old adage... Act in haste, repent at leisure. You are an airline pilot, Barry. That's how you support this family. This is going to be good for us. Is this all legal? You trust me? No. We're expanding operations, Barry. The devil you know, the devil you know, the devil you know. Roscoe dug this up in the backyard. There are bills blowing around everywhere. I'll rake it up in the morning. 
Tom Cruise stars as Barry Seal. Donald Gleeson as Monty Schaefer and the CIA handler who introduces him to the shady world of political power players, players in Central America. And this is back in the 70s and 80s? Yeah, in the 70s and 80s. It's yep. the Cold War, basically. And Schaefer convinces Seal to take photos of communist-backed rebels training in Guatemala and El Salvador. But Seal has a growing family. He soon sees he needs a lot more money to sort of make this new life of his work. Instead of being a, a reliable TWA pilot, he's now running photograph planes for the CAA, but he needs a bit more, so he decides to make a couple of side deals on the way. Soon he's running guns, then he's running drugs. Wow, he's like a he's, double agent. Yeah, then he's smuggling people. Well, some of this he's actually doing for the... Because the CIA goes, well, if you can get drugs in and out, you can probably take people as well, so they're training They knew he was doing the, smuggling the, the drugs? Is, the whole thing is crazy. You know, so anyway, um, Schaefer soon expands the deal to all sorts of arms of the American government, and Seal is now on a first-name basis with drug lords like Pablo Escobar. Pablo and, Escobar? And, and, <laughs> dictators like Manuel Noriega. And, what? And regularly dodging US government agencies like the DEA, the ATF, and the FBI with the help of the CIA. And he finally has so much money that literally he does not know what to do with it. Like, we're talking houses full of cash. Um, but this gravy train has to come to an end eventually. This sounds like a story that you could not possibly make up because no one would actually believe it. But whenever you go into a film that's claiming it's based on a true story, surely the question that we all ask is, how true is it? Like, like All of that sounds preposterous to me, but you're telling me it's based on a true story. How well, true? Basically, you can split the film in half and say we know for certain that the back half is true because it's all on the court records. Yes, I'm giving a little bit of the story away here. Uh, but the first half is a little harder because it involves the CIA, and the CIA doesn't, to this day doesn't own up to um, any gun running into Central America, even though you have the whole sort of Reagan fiasco and Oliver North and the rest of it. Um, so it's very hard to say what he did, but many um, historians have written about uh, what the CIA has been doing with drugs and with guns and with propping up regimes and things in South America. Yeah, and photography and such. So it's easier to believe, I think, yeah. How about Tom Cruise? How easy is he to believe as Barry Seal? Good performance? If Tom Cruise... Sorry, if Barry Seal was the guy who ran around and gave jaunty smiles and was always rushing and was doing the whole whoa, whoa, whoa sort of thing that Tom Cruise (laughs) seems to do, then yes, he does a fantastic (laughs) act. It doesn't look... It turns out Barry Seal is a lot like Tom Cruise, the actor. (laughs) It is. Tom Cruise plays Tom Cruise very well. Um, He does, doesn't he? Tom Cruise is great at doing that. All jokes aside, he's really good at being Tom Cruise. He's got that cheeky energy that he really does sort of carry off well on, on camera. But he really does embody that moral act in haste, repent at leisure. What do you mean? Well, you know, he basically um, he describes himself as a guy who does who does tend to look uh, tend to leap before he looks, and that's exactly what Barry Seal as a character is all about. Right, someone right. Who's, who's bored, who's going, this has got to be better than what I'm doing, and it sounds too good to be true, and doesn't realise that that might actually be the case. So he jumps in boots and all, uh, and instead finds himself in real trouble. There's a realization here that he's made the wrong choice. You've mentioned this. Uh, does, does Barry repent? Yeah, that's a really good distinction, you know, between sort of realising that you've done something wrong and repenting or regretting something and repenting and basically, no. Um, Barry is really sorry for... And there's plenty of movies like this, isn't there? Yeah. Where, where people are like really, really sorry for what they've done but repentance is yeah. just not really anywhere to be seen. Because basically, let's face it, you'd have to give the money back. 
I mean, like, you're sorry, you're sorry because it's caused pain. You're sorry because it's inconvenienced your family. You're sorry because it's um, it's now making you feel like there's a really good chance you'll go to prison. Um, but re- that's just regret. Yeah, so okay, what's repentance? Well, repentance is, you know, if you know as a Christian, repentance is basically a word that literally means to turn around and walk in the opposite direction. And this direction is towards God. Well, look. Firstly, to achieve that, Barry would have had to have realized that he, he himself was the problem and that he and he never does that. In fact, there's this great line where in which he actually says to his wife in this high tension moment, do you trust me? And she says, no, <laughs> because oh. mm. there's no reason to. But, but Barry goes, well, 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 can you do it anyway? Because <laughs> he doesn't really see himself as the problem. His intentions were good all the way through, so that should have been enough. And a lot of people in Australian society are laboring under that misapprehension that we're going to be judged by our intentions. But we're not going to be judged by our intentions. We're going to be judged by what we did. Okay, and in the end, I feel that uh, it's very important for people to remember that if you are actually going to get right with God, it usually begins by saying that there's something to get right. Uh, and Barry never manages it that far. American Made is rated MA15 Plus for strong course language. It opened last Thursday, August 24. It does star Tom Cruise, Sarah Wright, and Dom Hall Gleason, and a range of US law enforcement agencies behaving rather badly. All right, coming up on The Big Picture, we take a trip into The Big Picture's vault together and find Arnold Schwarzenegger waiting for us there. Sounds a bit scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plus, how Tom Cruise has shaped Mark's life. Yes. A little earlier, we spoke with Joel from Brisbane about his cool mobile cinema business and his passion for bringing vintage movies back to older viewers. Not going quite so far back in cinematic history, Terminator 2 Judgment Day has lobbed on our radar this week. Sounds a bit like this. 29-year-old female diagnosed as acute schizoaffective disorder. She believes that a machine called a Terminator was sent back through time to kill her. My son, he's in great danger. Are you the legal guardian of John Connor? What's he done now? There was a guy here this morning looking for him, too. Yeah, a big guy on a bike. I wouldn't worry about him. Oh, what a film. That legendary sequel has been re-released this week in 3D. 3D! Arnie uh, in 3D. Whoa. Bigger than ever. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps. So for The Vault this week, what else could we do apart from bang on about why this I'll be back occasion <laughs> is cause for celebration? Nice work. What I should ask you guys, why do you think... Not many films are re-released in 3D that aren't your typical Disney film, Toy Story, uh, Lion, Lion King. King yeah, that, so generally speaking, children's films exactly. are remade and re-released as 3D. And let's yeah. let's reiterate, Terminator 2 Judgment Day is not for kids. No. Okay. no. But often this is a, a, a 3D is a bit of a novelty experience. Why do you think they've done this? Well, I think firstly, okay, it's an epic film. Let's just not lose sight of that. It's a fantastic, fantastic yeah, it's, film. Well, it's, well, I was actually thinking more in terms of a producer's perspective. Oh, the sure. bo- the box just... office returns were very, very big. And just as a viewer, great action sequel. Yeah, and the box office returns were very, very big. <laughs> so people can. So from a producer's perspective, you've got to basically justify the money that is going in to turn this into a three D event. Okay, so it's literally all editing time. Everything is going in the studio. Why is it happening? Because they feel that they can turn a buck on it and as you say they can because 
from the from the get go, this was probably the best script that ever came out of the Terminator franchise. Well, there you go. And also, it was um, groundbreaking um, um, special effects wise. And and again, we we mentioned this on the show from time to time. I think where we can get conditioned as audiences now to just expect um, computer generated effects will be amazing and they'll blow our minds, and we sort of shrug our shoulders a bit and go whatever. But if you cast your mind back to Terminator Two: Judgment Day, anyone who's seen it, and particularly the effect around the um, one of the Terminators was like a liquid robot, mm-hmm. a, a robot who could liquefy, like metal liquefy. The, the 3000 model. The 3000 yes. model. The way that that kind of um, re- re-energized um, special effects at the time was quite incredible. And so getting to see that up in 3D, I'm actually considering going to see this at cinemas because I just think it would kind of, again, blow our minds a little bit more seeing it pop off the screen. I think it's going to actually hold up really well, Terminator well, 2 Judgment Day. I think it's about time to see it. When's the last time you've actually seen Terminator 2? I don't know. Like, a while ago. Like, I lost interest in the last couple of Terminator movies. Yeah, mm. rightly so. Rightly they're pretty, so. They're rightly pretty so. awful. But I'm going to say that I think this is actually going to get a whole new group of audiences uh, basically because like my boys for example are growing up now in an age with no real history of Terminator in the same way that some generations grew up without any history of Star Wars you know and so when a film that actually has a, a compelling villain you know great character comes along I feel like it's actually in a good position to capture you know, new eyes. It's not just going to be people who are uh, being nostalgic like you and I getting along to see it. It's going to be a whole new set of people who are going to discover the Terminator for the first time. You know what? Here's an old adage for you. <laughs> yes. Films, films change lives. Whoa. You it's said. true. They do. <laughs> and nowhere is that more evident than our weekly top five segments. If you don't believe me, we'll go and check out Mark's top five sports Hollywood co- convinced him to try that he never should have. That's waiting for your viewing pleasure at thebigpicturewebsite.com. That was quite the top five. <laughs> and, Mark, you have some more transformations for us this week, all courtesy of Mr. Tom Cruise. That's what are you, right, what are you talking about? Well, what? Tom Cruise's film career has shaped my life for good and ill, making me very much the man I am today. That explains or, a lot. Or something or close will. to a man. Yes. <laughs> sure, I don't have Tom's boyish grin or million-dollar orthodontic work, but I've learned a lot thanks to the pint-sized superstar actor. So now I present to you the top five Tom Cruise films that changed my life. Five. Let's begin with Risky Business from 1983, shall we? Sure, good place to start. This is the film about a teenage boy who sets up a dating service in his house while his parents are away to repair the damage his friends have done at a party, okay? And the most memorable scene, I think you know this even if you've never seen the film, is a young Tom Cruise slides out of the hallway, miming the words to Bob Seger's old-time rock and roll. Yeah. And here is the lesson, gentlemen, that I learnt. Miming is a lot harder than it looks. Okay, basically, <laughs> no, here's the thing. People uh-huh. think that miming is easy, but I realise it's not, okay? Because um, you have to know the words. You can't. You don't just slide around the house in your underwear. Otherwise, if you don't know the words, you just look like you're chewing cabbage. For the audience at home that's watching you lip sync and mime around the house. It always looks quite weird, yeah. So you've got to remember to do something with your body too. And and for me, that always throws me off. Like if I'm doing something with my hands, I can't do something with my mouth. So now I look even more like I'm doing... There you go. Can't dance while I'm actually talking. That's another thing. So I've always learned, basically, Risky Business taught me through trial and error that if I am going to dance, I will not mime. Now, Top Gun from 1986. There's okay? got to be life lessons in There's Top Gun for you, There's a life lesson for me. It has shaped me incredibly. The film about Maverick and Goose, two best 
flyby boys um, learning to become the best of the best in America's elite Top Gun fighter training school. Now, the lesson is not that every guy should have a cool nickname, though there's a load of them in there, like Viper yeah. and Jester and Cougar or, or Wolfman. And Iceman. Yeah, yeah, I know, fine, but Wolfman, come on. Who <laughs> want to be known as Wolfman? So is this your life lesson? No, this cool is nicknames? not. This oh. is not. Um, it's, in fact... Uh, that every guy, and it's not that every guy should go to the gym so they can aspire to playing shirtless volleyball when girls walk by. There's another great scene, okay? No, Goose plays wingman to Maverick. By the way, if you're going to have a cool nickname, it's not Goose, okay, right? And so, anyway, he plays wingman to Maverick as he puts the moves on the love interest in the film, a girl called Charlie, uh, and they're in a bar. And what's his go-to move? Singing, you've lost that loving feeling. Okay, much, much more important than the miming lesson, okay? More important than that if you're going to sing make sure you can mm, okay? that you're actually able to sing go google um, Top Gun uh, you've lost that loving feeling and see the most awful singing in yeah they really screech that out don't ever they? it's yeah. appalling yeah that's Tom, a barroom belt that, I know. that, that, that Tom Cruise delivers quite possibly one of the worst performances in history you can see the importance of this lesson underlined at a karaoke club near you three now um, one of my personal favourite films from Tom Cruise's collection uh, is Vanilla Sky Ugh. from 2001. This is Ugh, vanilla, wow, really? <laughs> yeah. Please, please continue with your boring Sorry, movie. Sorry, you're just underlining my life lesson here, okay? <laughs> Cruise plays this self-absorbed and vain media magnet who finds his life completely upended after a motor vehicle accident that throws everything he knows about the world into question. I was amazed by this film. You know, I, it was a real twist. I, I won't give it away what it was. I became a Vanilla Sky Evangelist. Did you? You didn't okay. see the Spanish original film it was based on? There you go. Here it comes. Mm. I began every conversation with, have you watched Vanilla Sky yet or again? Okay. And or for the third time, it's so much better then. Um, and, and everyone I met Dislike the film. Oh, really? <laughs> that was the lesson. No, this is wow. the lesson. And I write. All the reviewers I knew disliked it. No one, not even my closest friends, would watch this film with me. Oh, Mark, but I've been in that position so many times with people. Yeah. I know. So I learned a very important life lesson. Good is a matter of opinion, and you've got to own yours. And I've pretty much been doing that ever since. So you're all wrong. Two. Collateral, 2004. What okay. kind of life lesson are you um, going to get out of oh, Collateral? This is so Explain important. Explain for people who have not seen this okay, what this well, is about. Tom Cruise plays Vincent, a hitman picked up by Max, who's played by Jamie Foxx, cab driver, you know, who's taking him around the city between hits that he has to do. It's, mm. an, it's an incredible film. It is like this weird killing spree that takes place. It's a Michael Mann film. It's incredibly well made. Uh, but the most memorable thing in the film for Tom Cruise is... His hair. His okay. hair? He's had oh, his yeah, hair was bleached pretty, white. Okay? That was bleached white, And yep. here is the life lesson I took from that. Everyone thinks they will look good with bleached hair. And it's not necessarily true. Now, there's <laughs> My a brother certain, and I did that late high school, and it's true. You yeah, do think that, and it was wrong. We were wrong. a period of my life covered by three photos alone, because I haven't been able to get them off my wife, um, of me with bleached hair. Oh, you hair. did it too? I did. I went. I thought, that, that was a cool idea. I'll go bleach my hair. Now, I won't say it was directly after the film, but it was a period of my life that I really did think... You know, this would be a good idea. And I, so I went into I didn't just grab some sort of um, bleach and, and run it through my hair with peroxide or of something. Of course not. I paid someone to do it for me. <laughs> and I took comfort in the fact that they said it looked brilliant and forgot that I just paid them to do it for me. Okay. So there, what they don't tell you is it really hurts. 
Like, it really hurts to bleach your hair, and your head is so dead afterwards, you feel like you're wearing a swimmer's cap with glued-on clown hair you know, for about six months, and it gets worse as time goes on, because your normal hair starts reasserting itself, and now you look like a two-tone chocolate block. It's just amazing. Anyway, is it any wonder... <laughs> I'm just picturing you with all this. Please continue. Is it any wonder that my very next haircut was a buzz cut? Mm. <laughs> One. But here is my favourite lesson, life lesson, from a Tom Cruise film. A Few Good Men from 1992. Tom Cruise leads a team of military lawyers who set out to discover the truth behind an accidental death on an American military base. But the moment we all love is when Tom Cruise confronts General Jessup, played by Jack Nicholson. Um, and he does that line, uh, you know, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson responds, you can't handle the you truth. You can't handle the truth. What is the life lesson? One film can hand you every piece of dialogue you need for parenting. <laughs> this is basically the number of times my wife and I have used, you can't handle the, insert what you need to say here, to our children. You can't handle the truth about mum and dad dating. You, know, you can't, you can't handle the truth about beans and what they do to you. you know I mean? And you, the slightly less used but more significant, you can't handle dad's disco moves. <laughs> Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! And when it went bad, you cut crazy. these guys loose! Your Honor, you had markets inside a bony transfer. Your Honor, you doctored the logbook. Damn it, You coerced the doctor. Consider yourself in contempt. contempt. Colonel Jessup! Did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mm, there you go. Mark's life according to Tom Cruise. You can't, you can't handle that truth. <laughs> no one can. And that is a good note for us to wrap up proceedings for the show tonight. But coming up next week, to parent or not to parent, we ask the new film Gifted. And then it's off to the golf course for a family fracas with Tommy's honour. And it's off to the shooting range with the hitman's bodyguard. I won't be a hitman or a bodyguard. I'm just going to be Ben McKechn. I'll be Mark Hadley. See you next week. The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. 